0: The Taper is here, and the world didn't end after all. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It is Thursday. I'm Matt Koppenheffer. This is David Hansen. David, the, the, we will talk about the Taper, the world. It's still around. Yes. But look, here's, here's what I think is important. Expendables 3. The Expendables 3 trailer is out. Didn't even Are, know there was Expendables 2. <laughs> Are you, now that you know that there's an Expendables 3, mm-hmm. are you going to rent Expendables 2 in order to go out and watch Expendables 3 as soon as possible?
1: Such a waste of time.
0: What movie are you most excited about in the theaters right now?
1: In the theaters? What in are the my theaters. options? I don't even know. You don't even know it's in the theaters. What's, what are you, what's yours? Maybe I'll agree.
0: I'm pretty excited to see Hunger Games and Anchorman, Anchorman 2.
1: Okay, I that's seen, a good call. I, haven't seen I heard Anchorman 2 wasn't great. so
0: That's okay. I'm going to go see it anyway. Same. That's what I thought. The fir- when, I saw- when I saw Anchorman the first time, I-, I will be honest, I didn't think it was the greatest movie I'd ever seen. But then I watched it a few more times. It just gets better every time you watch it.
1: Very true. It's very but true. Just
0: like this show. Yeah. Every time people listen to this show, I'm sure it just gets a little bit better.
1: Exactly. Especially
0: the part about hearing us talking about movies. Yes. <laughs> That's why they're here. So let's head on to the headlines. The first headline of the day, uh, we've got it from Reuters here, U.S. Stocks, Bonds, Retreat. After Fed tapers. Wait, retreat? I didn't think it was, they retreated.
1: Depends on what time frame you're looking at. Right <laughs> after the Fed taper. what the There stock was a,
0: a five-minute period where yes. stocks were down.
1: I don't know. They were up yesterday. They were down today. It's, the thing that's interesting is people were like, well, they're not yanking the rug out from underneath us. Did anybody think that was going to happen? <laughs> if you look up what the word taper means in the dictionary, it says a gradual decrease. That's what they're doing. They're reducing it gradually. I just looked up
0: tapeworm, and that got tape me scared. That was, <laughs> it's interesting. The Fed um, is going to put a tapeworm into the economy. So it's a, it's
1: a slow decrease, and I don't know. doesn't have any impact on the way I think about anything. The
0: big banks were pretty much up across the board. Yes, were up across the board yesterday. Bank of America was up more than 3%. Yeah, uh, This is after everybody was basically expecting if the Fed announced the taper, everything would be down. Uh, American Capital Agency was flat yesterday annually capital was actually up a bit, not up as much as the rest of the market uh, but it was i mean this is this is probably more of a surprise than anything else down uh, big today though so <laughs> who i w- knows? I would say for the mortgage REITs though that today 's today 's action on the market aside this may be short term it 's bad news i don 't think there 's any way around that, but longer term if there 's some normalcy? Right. I mean, I guess the, the Fed controlling interest rates is kind of normalcy. But if there's more normalcy, if we can say, in the mortgage market uh, in particular, because the Fed controlling interest rates, that's normal. The Fed buying mortgage bonds, not normal.
1: Which is the market that those mortgage rates are in. Exactly. So basically, it's muddying their competition. We've heard Annalie come out and say, hey, we're not huge fans of the Fed being in our market. They shouldn't. We don't want them to be there forever. And over the long term, it'll be a good thing that they're gone. Or, not gone yet, but eventually gone. Eventually. Yes. Second headline. Second headline. Done with this taper. Done. Target says 40 million credit cards compromised. You shop a lot at Target.
0: I do shop a lot at Target.
1: Your, your life's over. Your identity's stolen. <laughs> Pretty much. You're My, compromised. I
0: am compromised. I will no longer have an identity. Somewhere out there, right now, there is another Matt Koppenheffer wandering around. And nobody's going to know because it's such a common name. Yes. Matt, that I I look up my name on the internet and it's mm-hmm. like, which Matt Copenheffer are you?
1: This, But this isn't, I mean, if you're a a MasterCard shareholder, a Visa shareholder, this isn't a concern for you. The brunt of this, of, of all fraud, maybe not just this, fraud usually lands on the bank's shoulders and then the bank goes and does their recourse and tries to recover funds. But it's not going to be on the, the target customers. They're not going to have to pay for things that were fraudulently bought with their credit cards if that actually happens. So it's going to be on the banks to to do something about this, but not a pretty day for, for Target to have this in the headlines.
0: No, it's not. It's not. And I guess one of the questions is, is that when this hits the headlines, does this get people concerned about using credit cards? And for that reason, is it bad for the credit card companies? Is this the kind of thing that, that consumers will look at and say, well... I don't know if I want to use my Visa card because there's the possibility that somebody's going to steal it and spend on it. But you made a, a, a good point that the credit card companies and the banks, they, they're making sure that consumers are not hit by this because they want you using credit cards.
1: Yeah, this isn't going to stop people from using credit cards. Well, credit cards, here's the it's question. It's like a tidal here's wave of some guy well, being like, please stop. Well,
0: here's the question. What if it does... Does this create a better case? Do these kind of things create a better case for Bitcoin? No, I think it
1: creates a worse case for Bitcoin. And not to pick on Bitcoin as much, but we talk about consumers having the ability to go to their banks and say, hey, this was fraudulent. If you use Bitcoin for a payment, you have no one to go to and say, this was fraudulent. I didn't use my Bitcoin on this. You can't complain to anyone. There's no central source. And while there's benefits to that... This is one of the drawbacks that you can't say it wasn't me.
0: You just made the case for me. Bitcoin is useless. It'll never <laughs> be a good currency. Third headline. <laughs> We've got DealBook here. The headline is Big Mortgage Servicer Reaches Settlement. So we had, a, we had the, set, the big settlements with the big banks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's $25 billion for the servicing missteps. This is now Aquin Financial. This is a much smaller company. But a very big servicer, and we're seeing a 2.1 billion dollar settlement here. Uh, now, it's not it's not a 2.1 billion dollar hit to Aquin right off. There's about a little bit more than 100 million dollars worth of actual payouts, and then mm. the rest of it is relief for for customers that it
1: services. It kind is of of doing business, I think. If you look at what their business has done over the last couple of years, it's been booming as banks have been trying to get out of the business of servicing mortgages. So, yeah, that's a $2.1 billion was the number, right? It's only a $7 billion company, so that's a pretty big chunk. And like you said, most of that's relief coming out of there. But I think it's not a surprise. No one's surprised that this is happening. The big banks were hit by this they knew it was coming here as well.
0: Well, the, si- the size of the hit may be so. To the extent that the, that the regulators are making their way down from largest and now looking at smaller players, I think in my mind, is to what extent do the fines and the settlements hit smaller banks, smaller servicers, that sort of thing? How much more do we have to see for
1: owners of mid-sized banks? I think, the, I think the CFPB is here to stay. I think they're, sure. oh, I think yeah. they're pretty, a pretty legit but, but I'm
0: talking mostly uh, stemming from the financial crisis. crisis,
1: yeah. I'm sure there'll continue to be complaints that it'll, it'll roll out. It's not going away. Um, whether it's banks or payday lenders, that's been one of the areas that the CFPB has really been focused on. So if you're doing something that was potentially shady, <laughs> they're probably going to find you, and they'll probably be a fine with it. Okay. <laughs> markets overvalued. This is our focus for today. The market's overvalued, Right. That's what people say. It's, it,
0: it's run way up. We've, had a, we've seen a tremendous year on the Dow, on the S&P 500 this year. We're right around the corner from a crash. It's got to be.
1: That's, your- that's my issue with this, is that we hear a lot of people saying, ah, I think the market's at a little bit of an overvalued state right now, and I'm not interested. I think that needs context in terms of, if it's overvalued, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think it's overvalued that we're due for a 50% drop? Or is it overvalued that you think returns will be 4% next year, which would be below historical kind of equity returns over time? So I think you really need to ask someone, rather than saying, do you think the market's overvalued? I think the question should be, what's your expected return over the next couple of years? Where do you see the market returning? If it's 2% a year, you could say the market's overvalued today because that's not a very good return considering the risk that you're taking. So, I don't know, it's just an idea that, that I've been thinking about lately that it, you really need context in terms of is the market overvalued, is a stock a buy, is a stock a sell? I think there's a lot more to the question than kind of just saying yes or no, is it overvalued?
0: I, th- I agree with you on context. And part of the problem is, is that the the realization or, or the, the thought that the market is overvalued or, or the the fact that the price-to-earnings ratios are above long-term averages doesn't mean a whole lot for what's going to happen next year. Um, the market has a tendency to go below its long-term average in terms of valuation and then go even lower than that and get above its long-term valuation and go even higher than that. Mm-hmm. In terms of people that are Investing in index funds, investing in passive index funds, so buying the whole market. I don't think that there's, I don't think that there's a good argument at all for them to be ch- because what they should be doing if they're investing passively in index funds is consistently investing month after month or quarter after quarter. Mm-hmm. And right now, where the market is at, this does not justify saying I'm going to change that strategy at all. Mm-hmm. Um, if we got back to the kind of valuation, and I think part of it is that people have gotten so hooked on this bubble idea that anything that is slightly more expensive than it looks like it should be, that's a bubble. Mm -hmm. This kind of valuation isn't a bubble. The valuation of the market in 2000, that was a bubble. Even in 2007, that wasn't a bubble, The crash that we saw afterwards, that was a crash driven by economic and financial circumstances, not a bubble in valuations. So what we're seeing right now is not a bubble in valuations. So there's no reason for the passive indexer to change what they're doing. Now, beyond that, if you're not passively investing in indexes, there is a wide range uh, of opportunities out there. There are companies that I believe are overvalued in this market. I was on... um, Market foolery the other day, and we were doing a little overvalued, undervalued game, and I, it, I, I don't like to keep picking on Bank of Internet because I think Bank of Internet has done a lot of things right, and certainly the results uh, in what we've seen, where we've seen that bank go from from just a few years ago to where it is today, is really impressive. Mm-hmm. But at nearly four times tangible book value, to me, uh, and, and given some concerns I have about the business model and some questions I have about the business model.
1: Um, that looks overvalued. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I was listening to Market Foolery when you were on <laughs> it, and Chris Hill the host asked you, "What does it take to knock this stock off 30-20%?" which would be a really big drop. And to me, I don't know if that's that could happen, mm-hmm. that could happen, but the long-term risk of holding the company is not that the risk is that you don't get sufficient returns yeah, so you're by four
0: percent per year over the right. next ten years.
1: So it, it, maybe it doesn't crash from today, but if from today's price, if like you said, if you get four percent, it's technically overvalued today if the rest of the market returns eight percent over that time frame. So I think everyone's in this camp where it's either the stock market's continue to rush higher mm-hmm. or we're gonna crash back to Earth. No one's considering the fact that, There's no middle ground. that maybe just the, the market returns three percent next year. And it could look like this, but over time, it could be 3%. A couple of shows ago, we talked about how 1987, biggest one-day drop in history, the market was up 2% that year. Mm -hmm. So I I think we need to consider this middle ground in kind of saying the rolling kind of annualized returns that you're getting, that's what you need to be considering rather than just we're either due for a drop or we're going to charge 30% higher. I can say with pretty good confidence that we shouldn't expect to see 27% market returns every year. I can say pretty confidently, I don't think that's going to happen over the next 50 years. We're probably going to revert <laughs> closer nice? to the, the long-term average, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a drastic pull-down. A couple of years of, of flattish returns would get us closer to that average. Sure. Sure, that's fair.
0: And just to finish my thought, Bank of Internet may be overvalued. There are other companies out there that, that are undervalued right now, so it's... <laughs> I know a lot of people hate this uh, hate this line, but for a stock picker, it's a stock picker's market. But to, it, it's always a stock picker's market for a stock picker, because that's what it means to be a stock picker. Our
1: listener, Mike V., will not be happy to you like
0: that. Maybe not. But for a stock picker, it is always a stock picker's market. I believe that it's never not a stock picker's market for a stock picker. All right. Mailbag. Moving on to the mailbag. We have an email address. Our email address is WTMI at Fool.com. We really love getting emails. Um, I, don't, I don't get enough Uh, good emails during the day. So I love getting these emails because it's good to hear from listeners. Minaj writes, I love your program. Could you help me understand how the market has treated companies that have done splits in the past? Does this work out better for the shareholders in the long run? Some historical stats would be highly appreciated. This is uh, in relation to MasterCard and the recently announced 10-for-1 split. Mm -hmm. I think you said that you... Looked at a few statistics, a few numbers. I was trying to find some.
1: I figured this is right up the academia communities. Sure, w- yeah. Right in their sweet spot right there. So I went back and tried to find some, some studies. Regression analysis? Uh, there was a study from Eugene Fama, who won a Nobel Prize. Smart he was guy. arguing that it has no impact. It, it doesn't matter. Um, multiple other studies found another one from, I think, academics at, at Penn State. Uh, that said, "Mm, maybe it does matter a little bit. That was back in 1984. Uh, Mm -hmm. These are all a long time ago. I think the answer is maybe something would have impacted back in the 60s, 70s when there was a little bit more inefficiency in the market. But today, I don't think you should pay too much attention or try to find an advantage that says, okay, the split happened. I can expect this amount of bump in the days after the split announcement. I think that's probably not true. Maybe there's some psychological gains that come into the place uh, oh it's a cheaper stock. Maybe it puts the stock on more people's radar mm-hmm. because it's in the news for doing this, but I really am having a hard time trying to think of a, a scenario where this really gives you an advantage or disadvantage.
0: So the question in, in Minaj's question he, he said specifically how the market has treated. So so to me that and and, and I apologize I'm not going to share any statistics, but this specifically thinks about it in terms of a stock Mm -hmm. and when and when we're talking about it here and when we generally talk about foolish investing we're not thinking about the stock Mm -hmm. we're thinking about the company and and i'll also add in here that in terms of it he didn't mention a time frame so it's over different time frames maybe different things happen Mm -hmm. but to go back to its uh, ben graham quote In the short term, the market is a voting machine. In the long term, the market is a weighing machine. So in that short-term voting machine, sure, maybe something happens in terms of splits, the way the market reacts to it. Over the long term, that weighing machine, it's going to be the same Mm -hmm. because you've just taken the same pizza pie – and sliced it up into a different number of slices.
1: And it, it's very hard to look at it in a vacuum, too. I mean, you have the announcement of Maybe a split, pizza. but you also have a bunch of other stuff going on with the company, too. We look at MasterCard, they increased their dividend. How do you separate, okay, if there was a bump, how do you separate whether that was because of a split coming or a dividend? There's a bunch of other factors going in, whether it's company factors, overall market factors, economic factors. It's very hard to put this in a vacuum and really get an advantage from it.
0: M- multiple regression analysis. I think, I think that's
1: your <laughs> I think that's your homework. But yeah, b-
0: bottom line is is that um, Mastercard doing very well, and so I think that's part of. I mean, like you said, that's baked into why the split is happening. The company's been doing really well, stock has been doing really mm-hmm. well. But long term, foolish investors shouldn't be worrying about splits. All right. Game for the day. Uh, fool in the blank. We've got blanks here. We're gonna fill them in. We did not get the slides up because I did not get these scenarios to you soon enough. But we do have some scenarios, and the first one is, blank is my dream team pick for Bank of America's CEO.
1: For Bank of America or the country? Bank of America. Okay. Do they have to be alive? No, let's say no. <laughs> Going with the original J.P. Morgan. Whoa! How do you not go? I mean, the banker of all bankers. That would be my dream team pick. I mean, this guy that... Built an empire that's still here today. His name still rings true. Got to go wow. with it. the late J.P. Morgan. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> that an, that's an interesting pick.
0: I, I'm just going to go ahead and plunk, pl- pluck John Stump away from uh, Wells Fargo. Great banker, quiet banker, uh, knows the business, knows how to get it done. I'm actually, I'm a bigger fan of Brian Moynihan than you are, and I think he's doing a fine job there. I think if uh, John Stumpf was running Bank of America, I'd have even more confidence all right. uh, number two, this one is, is a little bit more on the fun side. Uh, blank is the TV or movie star that I trust to
1: run a bank. I'm going with an actual TV character. Okay, oh, is that allowed? I guess. Can I do that? I guess. Going with Saved by the Bell's Zach Morris. Are you surprised?
0: Oh, actually, no, I was, I was surprised at first. You want to know first, why? And then I thought, okay, go ahead. You
1: want to know why? Yeah, go ahead. All right, he seems like a goofball, but he's always scheming. The right, the right way to do things. Always figures out a way to, to get what he wants in the end, and got a perfect score on, on the SAT. I think got into <laughs> Yale. Got into Yale. A lot of people forget that, that Zach Morris got into Yale. Didn't end up going there, but I'm picking Zach Morris.
0: I was almost going to steal an idea that I heard you say before the show, and that's uh, Barney Stinson. But I did say trust in there. You did, and, uh, and trust. I, you know, I'm going to go with. I'm going to go ahead and go with Brad Pitt. I'm going to go with Brad Pitt because why not? Because given what we've seen, what bank CEOs uh, can do by doing things, Mm -hmm. like before the financial crisis. So I'd love to get Brad Pitt in there and have him not do anything. Just just sit in there and look like Brad Pitt. Be in the pictures. Get on the conference call. Just be Brad Pitt. Don't do anything with it. Let the bankers run the bank. And and frankly, if, if we think about it, a lot of the problem, I think, is that we've ended up over time with a lot of non-bankers mm-hmm. running banks, which is a problem. I think that's a problem. Uh, so let's, get an, let's go ahead and get another non-banker in there and have him let the, the, the real bankers at the lower levels run the bank, and he'll just be good advertisement, good people.
1: Female customers double overnight. Du- d- at least. At least
0: double. 700, 800%. And, and just as a follow-up to that one, if there were a movie about you, David Hansen... Blank would play you in that movie.
1: Zach Morris.
0: <laughs> Zach Morris again. Yeah, of, course. of course. Why not? All right, let's finish off on the Twitter sphere. Uh, I think we've got one tweet, right? We do have one tweet. Go ahead, David, and read it off.
1: Our us. first tweet and only tweet is from Paul LaMonica at LaMonica Buzz. He says, Nearly five years after taking $25 billion in TARP and buying slash rescuing Wachovia, Wells Fargo at all-time high. That must make J.P. Morgan Bank of America Citigroup Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, very jealous. Do you think they're
0: jealous? uh, Yes, but not for that reason. I do think they're jealous, but not for the reason that the stock is at an all-time high. I think they may be jealous because, and particularly the other three of the big four banks, because if you look at the settlements that have come down, Wells Fargo has been, like, nowhere to be seen for (laughs) the player, the major player in the mortgage market. So either Wells Fargo has done just a great job cutting deals mm-hmm. or they were operating on a whole different level than those other banks. Mm-hmm. And I'm, not, I'm really not sure which way I, I, I come down on that. But if the other banks are jealous, I think it's for that reason.
1: Well, I mean, yes, it's been terrible for Bank of America with lawsuits and we're referring to mortgages and J.P. Morgan now. But Citigroup also hasn't been killed by lawsuits. It's been more bad investments Actually, the, bad assets on, on Even the less market.
0: than... than uh, Wells Fargo. They right. even less than Wells Fargo. But they don't have they didn't have nearly the mortgage market
1: right. exposure. So it's more Bank of America and JP Morgan that we're kind of jealous.
0: Yeah. It's called jealous. We'll call it jealous.
1: All right. That's all you got. That's all I got.
0: All right, that's the show for today. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter at TMF Financials. You can find us on Facebook. Do find us on Facebook, Motley Fool Financial Sector. And you can also email us, WTMI at fool.com. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. Right here with me, David Hansen. We will see you tomorrow.
1: People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.